Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this show on Tuesday, May 12th, 2020. Just for the record, folks, first time we posted two podcasts online in, within one seven-day span. But the reason for that, there's a really cool interview we're going to do in the second half of the show. Do you want to talk about who that is, Drew? Yes, we're going to be talking to Tony Cervoni, who directed the new movie Scoob, which will be available by the time you listen to this podcast. It will be available to rent or buy on demand in your living room right now. So, yes, we're very excited to talk to him about everything Scoob, and that'll be coming up in the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. And the folks at Warner's Animation were nice enough to let us take a look at it in advance. I, I watched it this past weekend, along with the, the latest Rick and Morty. Uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> what, what was your take on that one, Drew? I really like that this week's. I love I love Alien. So anytime you have fun with the concept of of Alien is is fun for me. You know, mm. you just can't resist those wet eggs, Jim. Uh, <laughs> They're so shiny. <laughs> uh, well, I the the thing of it for me was the whole notion of using the alien mythology, the world, in, in classic Rick and Morty fashion to comment on kind of the brutality of society in fact that that whole thing when they were laying waste to that world and and I'm watching this and they're coming up on the twin towers you know of that world and it literally when you're sitting there is in your home watching this and then you watch them actually acknowledge that okay those look like the twin towers and and they fly around them and they literally comment to one another about you know well i think we showed considerable restraint there I just I can't, so funny. I can't imagine this writing room. I really can't imagine to then go and then to go straight into the Pearl Harbor joke. Um, yes. Now I I have to apologize, folks. It was a strange, busy weekend involving cupcakes. So as a result, I did not get to see Solar Opposites. It's on my to do list for the coming week. But but you got to check that out, Drew. And, and yeah, I watched the whole thing. I I really enjoyed it. It's mm-hmm. sort of like we've talked about. It's kind of the inverse mm-hmm. of Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Um, space aliens land on Earth and are trying to get back. And mm-hmm. the characters are really funny. Mm-hmm. They it it's definitely one of those shows where the the last episode is better than the first. You know, it gets a little bit better each mm-hmm. each episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you're gonna really like it, Jim. It's it's. More, it's more crass and cruder because they don't have to, you know, worry about broadcast standards. Not that Rick and Morty care too much about that, but um, this is true. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Okay, well, the, boy, this is going to be one of the tougher transitions going from crude and crass to honestly one of the, the more class acts in animation. But I, I was actually kind of. Sad to hear just this past week that Nancy Cantor is stepping down from a Disney Channel. You've dealt with Nancy in the past, right? Or- yes. Yeah, she's great. She she was technically the EVP content and creative strategy of Disney Channels worldwide. Mm-hmm. And it looked like they're in some parts of the world, they're collapsing Disney Junior and Disney XD uh, into the Disney Channel, kind of, because of the prevalence of Disney+. Plus. Oh, um, okay. I believe that's happening in India and a couple of other territories. So mm. that that actually might be why she's leaving. God. Um, but, okay. uh, yeah. 
She's well, but, great. But, you know, what's weird is if you look at the stuff that she's worked on, her bio, again, or she was over at Sesame Workshop, Disney was able to poach her to come over to, you know, help with Disney Junior. And she started, I mean, the, the thing with Nancy is she creates good-looking, well-written shows, preschool shows. She did Sophia the First is hers. You know, she wrote her on the development of Doc McStuffins. But at the same time, you know, she's also... You know, uh, for example, Owl House, which you and I love, you know, did yes. she, she was a champion of that. And she's also been the one who's really, really been pushing for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, uh, which I've been hearing great things about. And the weird part of it is it's not like she's going anywhere anytime soon. She's she's not leaving the company till 2021, right? Or Yeah. I don't know why this announcement happened so early. Mm-hmm. Maybe Victory Lab? I don't know. I'm honestly sorry to see her go. You know, whenever she got involved with a project, it was always what was great about her. She's always solidly in the creator's corner. She's always, you know, one of these people that's like, that's your vision. Let's figure out how to do your vision. You hate to lose people like that. But on the other hand, it's a big world out there and she can go out and do other things in other places. And we have not heard the last from her, Jim. That is for sure. Here's hoping. And speaking of things that I thought we had heard the last of, this Popeye news, this, well, can you explain? Yeah. So yesterday, I believe, uh, Animation Magazine broke this story that Gendy Tartakovsky, who is a favorite on this show, oh, that's yeah. for sure, Yeah. as we as we wait for Primal Season 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did Dexter's Laboratory, Samurai Jack, the original Clone Wars at mm-hmm. Lucas, and all of the Hotel Transylvania films, mm-hmm. um, is working on his Popeye for a new company, which is King Features, which I guess is the copyright holder for Popeye. Yeah. And I, look, I, I mean this in the kindest possible way because as part of the story the animation uh, magazine did, they talked about how uh, King Features has done a set of Popeye shorts that I, I guess you can go over to YouTube and watch, and, and I did, and <laughs> they're terrible. Um, but... <laughs> But, you know, on the other hand, the fact that Gennady's, you know, again, he's been, he worked on this to 2012. And, and remember, they did this incredibly unusual thing in 2014 where they took the proof of concept and actually put it out online to build interest in the project, to get people inside of Sony. It's like, you know, look at the reaction. People want to see this movie. And it still didn't go forward. The one saving grace out of this, after having seen the the Popeye's adventure things that King Feature has done to date, is the news that I guess Gennady is working with the folks who are doing the Cuphead uh, animated series, the one that's that's based on on the amazing game that's filled with Fleischer like animation. So it's like, oh. yeah, that's coming to Netflix, I believe. Yeah, right. So it's yeah. one of these things where it's like, okay, if it's those people working with Kennedy, because face it, th- that test was amazing. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. It was, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've told the story before, but I was the one that broke that story that he wasn't doing it anymore. And let me tell you, Jim, I got 
the Dickens screamed out of me by Sony around that time. Uh, well, you know, because so many of us were holding out hopes that that was actually going to go forward. And the fact that there was this this radio silence. And I guess the other thing is he, he had been such a good corporate citizen. I mean, he'd, he'd run the rescue mission on the original Hotel Transylvania and figured out how to turn that into a movie. He did the the sequel he came up with an idea for the third one which i was just watching the the Macarena stuff from the third film where they're dealing with what the leviathan i love i love the third one do you really I'll- yeah i think it's I, to me that's the most gennady one that is the one that pushes the visuals and really oh, unique well, no, that, no, and- th- that's it exactly. I mean, particularly when you watch the the sequence of the end where they have all the monsters dancing the Macarena, and it's one of these things where the the animation is so pushed to sell the gag, yes. and it's yes. just sort of like. And again, that was the thing watching, you know, watching that and going, okay, if he gets to do this, if he gets to push it like this with the Popeye movie, oh my god, you know, we're all in for such a huge treat. But all I can say is just, okay, you know, Kennedy and the Cuphead guys, that's great. But can they make that YouTube stuff go away? Because it's, oh, Drew, it's, it's, oh. I have not, after your ringing endorsement, I did not, did not watch it. But mm. uh, I did talk to Sony and he is still there. So wow, Popeye might be a ways off because, okay. you know, he's got two sort of more adult features in the works at Sony fixed, which is an R rated comedy about a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you know, you know what fixed means, Jim. And then uh, mm-hmm. black Knight, which is his like PG 13 action movie. Okay. So also they have, have not announced a director for hotel Transylvania four. Mm-hmm. So he might be busier than we know. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I hope if he's still cooperating with Sony, maybe there is a way to walk, but, but you know, I, I have to wonder: would, would he really want to do a Popeye origin story? Or I don't know. You know, I have no idea what he wants to do. If he's, if he's even, I mean, if maybe if King Features owns the rights, then they own the rights to the script that he was working on. Mm-hmm. Is my only guess. Because I, I remember once the folks at Sony they invited me over, and I got the tour of the pod where they were working on. Popeye and the sea witch played a huge part in you know in Kennedy's vision for this project. I really hope that travels over to whatever you know King Features is planning, uh, along with the Jeep. I mean, but you saw the Jeep and, yeah. and the tease. Okay, so again, I, I, I'm, I'm happy for that sort of news. I'm also happy that Bob Zucker got picked up for an eleventh season. Who'd have thunk it, Jim? Who'd have thunk it? Well, face it, you're the one who keeps saying that the Bob's Burger feature, which, you know, it's been shifted to an April 9th, 2021 release. Yeah. Uh, it is never going to see the light of day. Never uh, coming out, correct. Uh, yep. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, you know. But it's coming back next season with all the all of our favorites, mm-hmm. including Bless the Hearts, Duncan Villain, of course, The Simpsons, of course. They have to come back, yeah. obviously. Um, but. You know, face it, in the current environment, if you're an animated TV series, you, you're kind of leading a charmed life because given the, the challenges of doing anything that actually involves getting live actors on stage to shoot a television series, they're still working that out for how we're going to have a new season of television, right? Or- yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw that article in, in um, I think it was Deadline, but they were talking about how, you know, 
the Mario Brothers movie, all these animated things, including a Paramount movie called Jersey Crabs, Jim, which I'm very saw that very yeah. into. Yeah, directed or written by the the incredibly talented woman who did uh, Hustlers, which I don't know if you saw that last year, but it's a it's a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that that everything is like full steam ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is getting worked on. So. Gonna, uh, well, again, wonderful time to be doing an animation podcast, I guess. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, let's face it, you work on these these features with the hope that you do, in fact, get the chance to show it in a theater. And I guess this brings us to the SpongeBob movie, which now has been pushed off to August 7th, maybe? Yeah. Okay. So Perhaps. <laughs> Okay. The reason that Drew and I are, are sounding this way is uh, CBS Viacom did their quarterly earnings call uh, just this past week, and CEO Bob Backish uh, <laughs> basically said, okay, literally the first film on the schedule is SpongeBob for the beginning of August. But what Bob says is basically it's too far out to call whether that's definitely going to be released or if it's definitely not going to be released. Uh, We hope it will release, but we'll continue to look and make the right decision and return on those assets. So I think that's a polite way of saying we may. TBD. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, it just it kind of kills me because remember that this whole setup was to plow the road for what? Camp Coral, the SpongeBob's underyears, right? Yes. Which, the last I heard, is still debuting in July on Nick with the whole premise of 10-year-old SpongeBob goes off to camp and meets all his bikini-bottom buddies. And I think it was supposed to be done in a similar art style to the movie as well, right? Yeah. Wasn't it CGI? Yeah. That's it, exactly. In fact, the idea was the film was going to introduce this take on the characters and the series would then drop and... You know, we're we're kind of in that you know Kevin Feige country all of a sudden. You know, they're oh, right. we're gonna you know introduce characters on the Marvel limited series that'll then pop up in the yeah yeah the the old adage if you want to make God laugh make a plan. Um, so, <laughs> um, and speaking of people who made plans, uh, you know the folks who made Scoob. You were pointing out early, early, early on Scoob. It was a series of initials, right? Yes, it was like an acronym. Whatever Scoob, maybe we'll find out what Scoob means when okay. we talk to to Tony. But yeah, it was described as kind of a Ghostbusters take on the material, which is definitely not what the the, the eventual movie ended up being. It's it's a much more traditional kind of uh, Scooby Doo adventure. Although the kind of the adventure elements are are very heightened in this movie, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So. We can't wait to, to chat with him. So let's, let's do that now, Jim. Okay. Hang on, folks. A quick break, and we'll be right back with Tony. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And we're back. Okay, so before we get to our very cool interview with Tony, news of the day, Drew. So, all right, the first big item, I guess, is the 
the Frozen 2 miniseries that, that's going to drop on Disney Plus on June 26th. Is that right? Or? Yes, Into the Unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have access to the first three episodes. I have not watched them yet, so I cannot, oh. cannot comment. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited about this, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. The, the, what kind of intrigues me is this, at least to my understanding, would have been out in the same window. I mean, this was the, the window that Frozen 2 was initially supposed to debut on right. a Dis- yes. Disney subscription service. So this was Almost be- like it was a proposed special feature, Jim, that got turned into a... <laughs> TV show, if you will. Uh, could be, could be. But but again, to give you some idea of, of how things have moved up. Right. In fact, how, I mean, again, all I could think of when Disney announced Hamilton running right. in July is like, good Lord, they are literally following the Drew Taylor business plan, <laughs> you know. I mean, you, you were the one who talked about, you know, the whole notion of the, the way that they keep heat and a spotlight on uh, Disney Plus was they, they had to put new product in there. But uh, uh, moving up the release mm-hmm. date, 15 17 months. months. Yeah, wow. yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And also bypassing theaters, because remember, this was supposed to be an IMAX and regular screen yeah. event. Yeah, I I would kill to have been in the room, you know, for the phone call with with Lynn. Mm-hmm. What got horse traded? Because face it, to give up, as you mentioned, you know, a prestigious seventy millimeter, you mm-hmm. know, engagement, and likewise theater to go this route. Yeah. Oh, so. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it, it cost them seventy five million to acquire, but it probably cost more to produce Artemis Fowl. So I feel like, you know, at this point, why not? And okay. it's nothing like having a captive audience, too, Jim. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, people are there, so you might as well give them something. And I think that timing it to July fourth is a really special, oh, no, no, no. fun idea. That's, that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. While we're talking about incredibly well timed things. The Frozen song that dropped t- today? What, uh, what is yeah, it? Yeah, it was like a, uh, a, I am a with bonus you. episode of the Olaf short films, but really cute, this one. Yeah, and, and again, this is Christian Anderson Lopez and, and Bobby Lopez, who you know, obviously did the score for the two Frozen films. I, I have to ask, is this what we got instead of the two hand drawn cuz uh, you know i i'm still looking for the hand drawn uh, i will send you the hand drawn one i promise okay. it exists jim i swear i swear all right all right you know just <laughs> Like I have the uneasy feeling it's it's right next to where they keep the film where Elvis is riding on the Loch Ness monster waving to the Bigfoot on shore. Right. You know, just sort right. of like you know, as the UFO lands. Yeah. No, I don't know. No, I don't know where this came from, but it, it just is a lovely little kind of like it'll be okay song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it'll be particularly okay if I get to watch Hamilton at home without yes. you know paying $300 to go see it in New York. I should also I should also tell you that Kevin Lima just 3 minutes ago posted a photo of Ravana, the nine-headed villain from the Monkeys of Mumbai and it is crazy. So look oh, at Twitter when you get to no, 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 no. I'm so glad you mentioned that because when we recorded the last show, he had only put up so much art 
And there are so many more pieces now. I mean, the more I look at this movie, it still kind of breaks my heart that we didn't get this. But speaking of things, we, we get to watch at home mm-hmm. uh, starting this week. We get to see Scoob. And yeah. just within the last hour or so, we get to chat with the director, Tony Cervone. Am I yeah, saying that Cervone, right? Cervone, I'm not okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. Who's had a fairly lengthy career of, of being associated with Scooby-Doo. No, this guy is the Scooby master, right? Yeah. But, you know, if you look back over the ones he's done, he's done the Scooby-Doo and Kiss, the rock and roll mystery. He did the Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated series uh, back in 2010 and 2013. Have you ever uh, seen big- that one? Now, I have to ask, that's... the that's the scary one. That's the scary one. Yeah. Okay. But we've talked about this on an earlier show. The scary one versus the good one? You know, no, the, this is the... a good one. This is a good one. It's all on uh, Netflix right now, actually. Okay. Um, so if you're curious, yeah, this is when they actually are, where all the mysteries are real. So they're actually going up against monsters and aliens and, you know, zombies and stuff like that. It's, it's, more, it's more Gravity Falls uh, mm-hmm. than Rubber Masks. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. We'll tell you what. Then why don't we just drop into our chat with Tony? Well, Tony, this is a question that, that Jim and I both had about the kind of development of the movie was that when it was first announced, it was Scoob as an acronym. And they had kind of described it as like more Ghostbusters-y. Yeah. Can you talk about that version of the movie and how it kind of transitioned to what we're getting uh, on VOD this week? Um, you know, animated movies take a, a very long time to make. Like this movie took five years to make. So in, in reality, we made many f- versions of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the version we ended up with is very similar to the version we started with. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, we don't use the acronym anymore. And to be honest, we never even really knew what the acronym meant. <laughs> um, I believe at one point the acronym stood for what was it society i can't remember of otherworldly beings oh cool society or something oh no the secret covert organization of otherworldly beings Ooh, and that never was in the movie (laughs) we never had a covert organization of otherworldly beings it was like we would have to structure a whole movie around an acronym and we never really did that (laughs) Well, you, you've had a very long history with the Scooby-Doo property, um, and like you said at the uh, at the long lead day, that you've, you've sort of overseen various incarnations of the franchise, where the ghosts are real, where they're not real, and, and how did you kind of land on what, what's in the movie? Um, we pro- I think we always thought at some point the ghosts were... Well, I think for, in every incarnation, spoilers, but the, the ghosts were going to... The supernatural was going to exist. Um, and I think, you know, it's been part of Scooby-Doo culture since Zombie Island. And Zombie Island was so good that I think once they did it, it was like, okay, from then on. Um, I know the older fans, myself included, kind of prefer the rubber mask, you know, real estate development villains. Um, but then sometimes you got to go bigger. And this is a movie and yeah, got to go big. So, so we have a much bigger supernatural presence. Right. Well, uh, I was so excited to tell Jim from the press day that we saw we saw art on the wall of of, uh, Grape Ape and some of the other Hanna-Barbera characters. And 
the movie ends with this great made on end um, title sequence with a bunch of those characters. But were they ever integrated more fully into the plot? Yes, they definitely were. Okay. At one point, you know, uh, uh, Grape Ape, Jabberjaw, and Adamant were also in the movie. And I mean, honestly, it's a 90 minute movie. And with all those characters, they were pulling so much time and focus away from Scooby and Shaggy that where you would just at some point had to make the decision to save them for the sequel. All right. But they are definitely teased in the main. The main on ends are a continuation of the Scoob story. Oh, really? Okay. All right. I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about how the script came together? Because I have to tell you, I love the fact that there's definitely a story here that kids can embrace, but there's also some really smart dialogue that parents are sitting back on a couch are going to enjoy about this thing. You know, how did you to land on the tone and the style? Uh, I think well, you know the, the original script written by Matt Lieberman was really funny, and it, and it, and it kind of set that kind of tone, you know, like a, a general audience kind of tone, but. I feel that if Warner Brothers as a studio has a strength in animation, it's making all like all inclusive animation, like where there's definite humor for adults, definite humor for kids. Sometimes those things overlap and sometimes they don't. So uh, I just thought it was very much in our tradition. And and, and I, I mean, in Warner Brothers tradition to really blow up the humor, really widen it. So uh, so that's kind of the approach we took. And we had a lot of very talented people coming in and helping out. Adam Ezekiel, one of our executive producers, really helped with uh, sharpening the humor and bringing in the right people. And, you know, we, th- we tried a thousand jokes and we're pretty happy with most of them that are in the movie. So. Um, can you talk about some of the deep cut sort of references for Hanna-Barbera nerds and... Uh... I remember that one guy pointed out that you actually used the building that Hanna-Barbera was yeah, in. Yeah. Um, uh, but can you can you just talk a little bit more about some of those fun Easter eggs? Um, there are a gazillion Easter eggs, and they start right at the very beginning. And I'm trying to think what, you know, like, I, to me, my favorite Easter eggs in the movie are the ones that are about the artists and the creators and the people of Hanna-Barbera. So, like... For example, there's one shot when we first introduced the mystery machine driving down the street. There's a shot and there's there's a street sign that's kind of covering the mystery machine up and it says Carlton Way. And that's named for Carlton, who is who is a, an, a, an assistant to both Mr. Barbera and Mr. Hannah for years and years. And so when that when the camera bends blowers and reveals the mystery machine, Behind the mystery machine is Hannah's barbershop because Mr. Hannah was in a barbershop quartet and Mr. and Barbera's pizza because Mr. Barbera liked pizza. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like that's just one example. But there's many things that, you know, the, the bowling alley's called the, the Takamoto Bowl F for Iwo Takamoto. Uh, all of the original cast have their names buried in the movie somewhere. Other artists have their names buried in the movie. So it's kind of cool to me that it's it's personal and it's about the people who created this this property that that I'm that I'm lucky enough to make my living based on, you know, so I think that's cool. Well, I, I have to admit with the when you started at Venice Beach and it was the almost the perfect 
idealized version of Venice Feet, yeah. you know, clearly put together with a lot of affection and that sort of thing. How did how did you settle on that for the prologue? Um, that that took a little while. That took a little while before we really settled on it. And what it came down to was, you know, the Scooby Doo world often takes place at night. You know, all the mysteries and the investigations and the monsters are almost, especially if you watch the original cartoon, it's almost never daytime. So I kind of wanted, a couple of things were important to me, that we started in a bright, sunny, colorful, fun way. And then the other thing that was really important to me was, uh, and, and to the production designer, Michael Korinsky, and to the producers and everyone was, that the movie starts in a, in a real place. And I feel like I've always felt this cartoon takes place in California in Southern California. So I really wanted to represent Southern California in a way that felt in an idealized way for sure, but felt like, Oh yeah, I know that building. And Oh, that's, that's right. Those are, that's the way the street lights look. And those garbage cans, like that kind of detail is all pretty, well represented like the part the benches are the benches on venice beach and the street lights are the venice beach street lights so stuff like that making that stuff feel real knowing we were going to go to very unreal places later in the movie was really important uh can you talk about sort of translating these characters to to 3d and and what was important for you and what was the hardest thing maybe for you in that translation um it was hard. It was all hard and it was all really important, okay. but it was all hard. Like um, <laughs> it was all hard and the hardest was Scooby-Doo. Okay. And I, I love telling this story cause it's some, but cause it's, it's absolutely true. Uh, is uh, I remember early in my career talking to a, ha- a Hanna-Barbera animator and he was saying how hard it was to animate Scooby-Doo traditionally because his original model sheet is very beautifully designed and drawn, but it's, it's a cheat, you know, the, and what I mean by that is that Scooby-Doo in a three quarter position isn't exactly the same dog as he is in a profile and isn't exactly the same dog he is front on. So this animator told me like, Oh yeah, we used to always say uh, t- describing the in-betweening process between the key drawings was it's Scooby-Doo. You start at Scooby-Doo. It's Scooby-Doo. It's a boot. It's the kitchen sink. It's a chicken. It's Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Meaning that whenever Scooby-Doo turns his head, he just turns into some weird dog. <laughs> now, I always love that story. And then it became like a part of our life for five years where we're trying to create a 3D dog that looks like Scooby-Doo when he could turn his head. And it was it was almost impossible. So uh, if you pay attention, like Nick, when you watch a movie, if you pay attention, Scooby's kind of stays in those same head angles for very much of the movie. And it's because you can't linger in an in-between pose or it just stops looking like Scooby-Doo. So all the problems that normally exist in 2D, traditional 2D animation were exasperated a million percent in 3D. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I know I'm getting technical, but also like if we really, the, the rigs inside the CG characters are extremely flexible and we could change proportions and move everything. 
So everything is played directly to the camera. If you move the camera just a little bit in every shot of the movie, you would see how contorted their faces were, right? So it, it looks right to camera. If you, if you move five degrees off, they're completely off model. And this happens with a lot of, I mean, Scooby and Dastardly, who I think are both really well-animated characters in the movie, they're so played to camera and distorted so much that it's great that no one could tell. Because uh, like I said, we, we were changing everything all the time on a frame, frame by frame basis. Which is pretty unique for CGI, right? Because you're sort yeah. of on model the whole time. Right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, that's what I thought until I made this movie. And then you're not. <laughs> yeah, you're not on, not on model at all. Like, it's so easy to be off model. Right. Well, I mean, you, you talked about how the, the main on end sets up a, a potential sequel. But how, how much development, how far have you gotten in thinking, like, where are these characters going to go next? Um, probably haven't thought too much about it. Okay. I mean, I would love to open up the idea of Falcon Force and adding more Hanna-Barbera characters to it. Right. Uh, what has the experience been like to release this giant movie now in the middle of a global pandemic and having it on, on VOD? I mean, has, does it change your experience at all or your thoughts on the movie? And we just would love to hear everything about that. Yeah, I mean, it changes everything, you know, uh, just like this this situation and being changes so much about our lives. And of course, yes, it's changing how we finish the movie and you know, we finished the movie as quarantine was kicking in. So, oh, wow. you know, like we posted the movie at the end there under under very strict conditions. Um, it was almost like being on a jury where like, you know, where you're kind of stuck with these people, you know, where uh, <laughs> you see them during the day. You can't see anyone else. You can't talk about anything. So we all got very close in, in post-production. But but it was fun and I, and we t- and everything turned out really well and we finished it. Yeah. It, it was it was interesting. Wow. If you could take a step back just for a second. The thing that I loved about this film is that you guys really 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 leaned into the Hanna-Barbera aesthetic. I mean, you know, for example, Dick Dastardly's spaceship was obviously heavily influenced by you know the way his his racer and wacky races looked, but at the same time, when you when you look at Captain Caveman or Blue Falcon or that sort of thing, you know all of these different TV shows that were done at different times during Hanna Barbera's existence as a studio, unifying that style must have been tough. You know, making it all look like it was part of one world. I'll be honest, uh, it's a, it was always something that made me worried. I was always like, how are Dick Dastardly and Fred going to be in the same movie? They're radically different styles of character. So, and kind of the way, the really the way we handled it and the way we, and I think it was very successful, is we stopped worrying about it. But it kept me up nights. It, it really bothered me. I was like, how is Fred Jones and Dick Dastardly going to be in the same movie? And the reason I was kind of able to stop worrying about it, and we all stopped worrying about it, was it wouldn't have bothered Hanna-Barbera. You know, like, they made wacky, they made uh, they made the Laugh Olympics. You know, like, they, no one was, I'm sure no one was up, you know, worrying how dastardly and the teen angels were going to look standing next to each other in those days. So I was like, let's embrace it. 
we have a big universe. We have all these wacky characters. Just embrace it. You know, like someone who's kind of realistic, like Fred and Daphne and Velma can talk to Captain Caveman, who is, you know, a furry peanut with a big nose, you know, like, (laughs) and that's okay. And, uh, and, and then once we did kind of embrace the, that kind of style, um, we had a lot of fun with it. Like Dastardly, for example, is like we, he was so much fun to animate and, and we loved every shot we ever had with Dastardly because it, you could do, you know, you could do so many things. And one thing too, like Bill Holler and I, the, the animation supervisor, we would always talk to the animators. We had a lot of really young animators, very talented. And, but we would be like, Dastardly, we were like, he's a combination of Richard Williams, Milk Call and Chuck Jones. Go watch those, go watch that stuff. And then look how we blend it together. And uh, Blue Falcon's got a lot of DC superhero animation style in him. And Scooby and Shaggy have very characteristic 1940s Hanna-Barbera style animation predating the studio, like going back to Tom and Jerry. So it's like an animation history lesson. But an I can't one. think of a better way to, to end it on that. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Tony, uh, for, for chatting with us. I think we both love the movie. Um, Jim, Jim can chime in if he didn't like it, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, to be honest, again, I just I love that it was clearly made by people who had an affection for the way Hanna-Barbera worked. Like, you know, for example when they go to the prehistoric world and they're looking out at the pterodactyls, these are clearly pterodactyls that are influenced by somebody who loved Johnny Quest. Absolutely. It's the Johnny Quest pterodactyl. Look at the shape of the trees in Captain Caveman's world, because even though that's realistically rendered, all those silhouettes are from the Flintstones. You know, like, it is it is Hanna-Barbera throughout its, its, you know, throughout its DNA in every way we could think of. Oh, awesome. On behalf of somebody who spent far too much time in the 1960s on Saturday morning watching this stuff, you guys did a lovely job. I mean, it just, <laughs> it's, it's in, I mean, again, I remember you know, catching the first Scooby in real time, the one it debuted, what, back in 69? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and again, you guys did a lovely, lovely job. Thanks. It is, it is truly a love letter to Hannah Barbera. Well, thank you so much, Tony. Oh, that was cool. I love that he has such an obvious affection for the world of Hanna-Barbera and that they work so hard to make all the pieces fit, so to speak. Yeah, I I really like the movie a lot, so that was Mm -hmm. fun to get to talk to him. I'm glad he put up with our nonsense, Jim, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) All right. Well, again, folks, I hope you enjoyed listening to that. But that said, if you really, really want to hear something amazing, want to catch a great podcast, Drew, can you talk about the 100th episode of of Light the Fuse? Yes. So this week we hit our 100th episode and we were talking to Christopher McQuarrie, who's the writer director of Rogue Nation, uh, Fallout, and is working on seven and eight right now. Mm-hmm. And he also co-wrote Ghost Protocol with our dear friend Brad Bird. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're on the we're on Zoom. We're talking to him, and then all of a sudden I get these notices, and it says, you know, Simon Pegg would like to join the conversation, and then later Haley Atwell would like to join the conversation, and then later Lauren Balf, the composer, would like to join the conversation, and he's playing the Mission Impossible theme as he's entering the Zoom. Oh. Call. I mean, it is, it's a lot of fun. So 
You know, our episodes are very tight. They're about 30 minutes. We said mm-hmm. this week we're giving you everything. It's a two and a half hour long episode. <sighs> we cover everything about the new movies. We get into a lot of great stories from the past that I had never heard. So just have at it, guys. Have wow. at it. I, I do not know how we topped that. But no, that sounds <laughs> like an amazing show. And, and if, on the other hand, you still can't get enough after that, some folk, we, we also have some podcasts over here at the, the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We got Disney Dish with Lentesta. We got Marvelous a Disney that we do with an Aaron Adams, a gentleman who edits a lot of the podcasts here. Uh, we have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. In fact, I'm supposed to be recording a new show with him tonight. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> be nice. And uh, also, we just did a brand new I Want That with Shelley Valladolid and got another one of those cranking shortly. Uh, tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor and head over to iTunes and rate and recommend not only this show, Fine Tuning, but also Light the Fuse, that would be very, very helpful. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, if you want to head over to Bandcap and subscribe, um, also cool. That would be helpful. Your side of the fence through people looking for you on social media, they should be paying attention to your Twitter feed, if, if, if only for your new mutant jokes. <laughs> <laughs> My new mutant joke that blew up <laughs> unexpectedly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God. Don't retweet that, Jim. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Drew Tailored is my handle. T-A-I-L-O-R-E-D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Light the Fuse Pod, if you want to check in on that. All right. And again, Nancy wants me to make sure to mention that if you're looking for us on social media, you can go to Twitter and Instagram, where we're Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook, where we're Jim Hill Media News. And that'll do it for now. Thanks again to, for Tony for coming on the show and, and sharing that great behind the scene info on Scoob. And Drew and I will be back soon. <laughs>